and he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. Epiphany is a season wherein we think about how Jesus was revealed to the world. This follows nicely from Christmas, the Feast of the Incarnation, for when Christ was born, we have the fullest manifestation of Emmanuel, God with us. God the Son became a human being in the womb of Mary Theotokos, Mary the God-bearer, and was born for all the world to see. Traditionally, thinking about this scene, the Nativity in the Gospels, is followed by three other key instances in Scripture when who or what Christ is becomes revealed. The first is what we commemorate on, on the Epiphany itself when we hear the story of the wise men from the East, these Gentiles, non-Jews, who have the reality of God in Christ revealed to them. Following that, the first Sunday after the Epiphany, the Gospel reading for that day is the baptism of Jesus. And in that scene, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, the, the heavens open up, and the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descends on Jesus. And God the Father speaks from heaven, saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is another striking revelation of who and what Jesus is. This is God's own Son. And we're, we are invited to place ourselves into this story to hear this confirmation by God the Father of Jesus' identity and mission. And the Epiphany season concludes, or so I think, on the Feast of the Presentation, which commemorates Mary and Joseph bringing the baby Jesus into the temple 40 days after his birth. And there they meet Simeon Theodakos, as the Orthodox say, Simeon the God-receiver, who realizes that Jesus is the Christ, and holds God in his own arms. The reading for the last Sunday before Lent picks up, I think, a very, uh, the gospel reading that is, a very epiphany-like theme by focusing in on the transfiguration of Jesus. So I want to think with you a bit about how the transfiguration of Jesus picks up some of these uh, epiphany themes and helps us to launch into that preparation season of Lent. So let's bring with us the visitation of the Magi, bring with us the baptism in the Jordan, bring with us the presentation in the temple, and let's jump into another revelation of who Christ is. And I think we ought to set the narrative in Mark 9 in context, and I don't think it's an accident at all that this scene comes fairly quick on the heels of the Apostle Peter's famous confession of his understanding of Jesus. Perhaps you recall the story. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and, and he asks, who do, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond with, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and others say that you're one of the old prophets. Seems to me these are relatively plausible answers. Jesus is teaching with authority. He's performing signs and miracles, and these are hallmarks of someone with a prophetic gift. But then Jesus makes a turn in that conversation, and, and he, makes it, he makes it personal with the disciples. And he asks what I think is a very poignant question, 
a question which perhaps is even the focus of the season of Epiphany. Jesus asks in Mark 8, 29, but who do you say that I am? Now, I think this indeed is a question that, that we're all faced with at some point in our lives. Who do you, who do I say that Jesus is? And here in the narrative, we get the approved answer. Peter says, you are the Christ. Or as Matthew's gospel has it, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So I think we ought to add Peter's confession here to the scenes that we're bringing with us to think about the transfiguration. And coming finally to Mark 9-2, as we read here today, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. So that is, about six days after this little Q&A with the disciples, Jesus and his three closest companions went up to a mountain. And then, as you know, things get a little crazy. As it goes on in verse 2, And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. I love icons of this scene, which on your bulletin you have a, a picture of an icon, or on, on the missile page on the website there's a, an icon of the transfiguration. And I love how they try to capture a bit of the dazzlingness of Jesus' appearance. Like he was literally glowing, and there was like these laser beams of light shooting out of him. And even that's kind of a small bit of an, of an epiphany theme. Of course, we uh, confess in the Nicene Creed that Jesus Christ is God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Jesus is the light that has come into the world, according to John 1. Gregory Polymus was a 14th century monk of Mount Athos, and here's his description of this light that's radiating forth from Christ. Polymus writes, We believe that at the transfiguration, he manifested not some other sort of light, but only that which was concealed beneath his fleshly exterior. This light was the light of the divine nature, and as such, it was uncreated and divine. So also in the teachings of the fathers, Jesus Christ was transfigured on the mount, not taking upon himself something new, nor being changed into something new, nor something which formerly he did not possess. Rather, it was to show his disciples that which he already was, opening their eyes and bringing them from blindness to sight. As Palmas says, the light shining out of Jesus is the light of his divinity. Thus, this scene reveals Christ to be, in fact, God, as we have seen in previous stories. But Mark continues in his description of, of this scene on the mountain in, in verse 4. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. One common interpretation you'll hear about why Moses and Elijah are present with Christ is, is that they represent all the law and the prophets. So Moses is the archetype for the law since he revealed the law from God and Elijah is held up as the epitome of the prophets. So the interpretation goes, Christ here is being shown as fulfilling the law and the prophets, just as he described himself in the Sermon on the Mount. I think that's totally true and, and a good interpretation. But I also think that in addition to being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and as an extension of some of those epiphany themes, this aspect of the transfiguration shows Jesus to be the fullest and deepest encounter with God. 
Now you might have picked up, I was slipping some Greek lessons into the sermon here. We had Mary Theotokos, the God-bearer, Simeon Theodokos, the God-receiver. Here's another uh, Greek-oriented word, Greek uh, etymology word. Uh, Theophany, Theophany. This is the combining of two words from Greek, theos, meaning God, and phany from uh, to show or to show forth. So a theophany is when God shows himself. And we see lots of cool theophanies in the Old Testament. Uh, anytime God sort of shows up is a theophany. So when God's walking in the garden uh, in the cool of the day, that's a theophany. When God speaks to Moses out of the burning bush, that's a theophany. When God led the people of Israel through the desert in a pillar of smoke or a pillar of fire, those are theophanies. So a theophany is a showing forth of God, an encounter with God. And so what I want to suggest is that this passage in Mark, the transfiguration, is picking up on two of the most important Old Testament theophanies in order to show that the transfiguration itself is a theophany. Again, if you see one of these icons here from the Orthodox tradition, like you have on the, on the bulletin, you'll you see the three main characters, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, are standing on three hills or mountains. Christian tradition has it that Christ's transfiguration occurred on Mount Tabor in Galilee. The icon writers, by putting Moses and Elijah on separate hills, I think, calls to mind other touch points with important theophanies in scripture. For, so this interpretation goes, Moses is standing on Mount Sinai, where he received the law from God. And Elijah is standing on Mount Horeb, where he heard that sound of absolute silence, the still small voice of God. Now, likely in the literature, Sinai and Horeb are different names for the same place, but it doesn't really matter for the icon here. The point is that these Old Testament encounters with God are being picked up and appropriated as points of juxtaposition with what was happening before the disciples right then and right there. So if you recall that scene from the Exodus, just, just after Moses led the people out of captivity in Egypt, they end up at the base of Mount Sinai. And then this thick cloud covers the mountain, and there's thunder, and there's lightning, and, and all the people are scared, and they tell Moses, you go up there and talk to God. And so he does, and, and there he has this profound theophany. God speaks with Moses. God gives him the law. God even hides Moses behind the rock and, and shows Moses a, a little bit of his glory. And then, as you recall perhaps, when Moses comes down from the mountain to tell the people what God had said, his face is glowing, shining from being in the presence of God. And similar to this is the theophany we heard about today that Elijah experiences on Mount Horeb. In this scene in 1 Kings 19, God says to Elijah, stand on the mountain in front of me. I'm going to pass by. And then as the story goes, there's a powerful wind that tears apart, the, uh, tears apart the mountains, but God wasn't in the wind. There's an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. There was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And finally, there was silence, uh, a gentle whisper, and there was God, a theophany in a quiet place. So by having Moses and Elijah flanking Jesus here on the transfiguration, Jesus, I think, is shown as, revealed to us as, not just the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, for he certainly is that, but also 
another instance of a theophany. Jesus is God. And by being God, any showing of Jesus, any epiphany of Jesus is itself a theophany. It's as if in this, in this dramatic scene we're being told, hey, remember all those really important theophanies? Those really dramatic mountaintop experiences with God? Well, that's what's happening right now with Jesus. He is the God we are encountering here. In this epiphany season, we've been, we've been thinking more about the showing forth of Jesus, the revealing more about who Jesus is. And we've seen through these epic stories that Jesus is God. But what do we do with this truth, and, and how might it help us to prepare for Lent? Well, if you think about the disciples, and maybe you see the disciples in the icon, they're, in this instance, they're, they're kind of all out of sorts. In some of these icons, uh, the transfiguration, the disciples are kind of sprawled out on the ground, all, all disheveled, and some of them have their, their sandals off. Like, like the truth of Jesus is going like, to knock your socks off. But I think that this also shows us the kind of proper response to being confronted with the reality of Jesus. And that is to worship him. What else can we do in the presence of God but worship and if Jesus is God, as we confessed, what else can we do but to fall down, all disheveled, and worship him? And so, friends, Lent begins on Wednesday. And as you know, Lent is a season of preparation, preparation to commemorate those great events of Holy Week and Easter. And I want to invite you to take this realization we've been thinking about, that this showing forth of Jesus as God, with you as you jump into Lent on Wednesday. If we're doing Lent for gimmicky reasons or because of peer pressure or, or a sense of obligation, well, we should probably just skip it. Because the proper way to engage in Lent is as an act of worship. We should enter into Lent with a posture of, of on your knees worship, of knock your socks off worship, of Jesus is glowing with the light of the divine nature kind of worship. Let me close with this collect, which is not the collect of today, but actually that for the Feast of the Transfiguration, which comes on August 6th. Let's pray. O God, who on the holy mount revealed to chosen witnesses your well-beloved Son, wonderfully transfigured in radiant white and glistening, mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquietude of this world, may by faith behold the King in his beauty, who with you, O Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen.